team. Back in the early 1990s, some of the young people are probably saying, well, that's an ancient history. <laughs> the parents were not born then, but back then, in the early 1990s, there was a, a mainline denomination pastor who took to the pulpit one Sunday to denounce me publicly. Uh, my guilt that I'm a literalist, let's take the Bible literally, that I am narrow-minded, that I believe all this stuff about Jesus is the only way to salvation, that I'm backward thinking and I'm a bigot and all of it. Now, prior to that time, uh, I knew this man, not very well, but he was nice to me. Uh, because he was thinking that I have a Ph.D. from Emory University, therefore, I must be progressive. <laughs> um, that I don't believe all this stuff in the Bible. Uh, that I've come a long way, that I've kind of progressed. But then, when he soon discovered that my feet are cemented in biblical orthodoxy, he turned on me. Now, I'm giving you this background for a reason. Just hang in there with me, okay? Hang in there with me. Fast forward two or three years later, when I saw this man for the first time since I heard about what he said, and he's publicly denouncing me as the first time, and it was a citywide luncheon for clergy in the city of Atlanta. And I was sitting on one end of the room, and he was on the other. It's the first time I saw him. Uh, since then. So I began to think, I have two options. Two options. I could leave the function at the end very quickly and don't, just avoid him. Or I could go up there and warmly greet him. And this was going through my head all <laughs> during lunch. And the Holy Spirit's voice became very clear during the lunch that I must go up and seek him out and warmly greet him. I think many of you know, if not all of you, understand that struggle, right? I, I was very clear in my heart, this is important, I was very clear in my heart that I bore this man no animosity whatsoever. I really did. I have no animosity. I, 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 I took care of that. I've been, been through that. In fact, <laughs> he really did me a favor when he did this, when he did this public denunciation. Because, you know, we're a small congregation at the time, and all of a sudden, the following Sunday, we nearly doubled in attendance. And I can tell you, some of the lay leaders and I was talking, we said, what happened? What, what, what's going on? All of a sudden, our attendance nearly doubled. We did not know what's going on until later on we heard what happened, that so many of the people who heard him say these nice things about me <laughs> became curious. Well, they wanted to see this narrow-minded bigot for themselves. <laughs> so they showed up. So I really have no animosity. In fact, I was grateful to him. 
But once my self-examination revealed that I have no animosity toward this man, I've decided that at the end of this lunch, I'm going to go over there across the room and hug him. So I went up in the front of his friends and my friends, and I put my arms around him. Now, I know some preachers exaggerate sometimes, but trust me, I am not exaggerating of what I'm going to tell you. (laughs) I would have gotten more response if I hugged a tree (laughs) or a telephone pole, because there's some static in the phone. I mean, he stood stiff like this, put his hand in his pocket, and stood like this. And I'm hugging him. (laughs) Well, once I released him, he turned on his heel, leaving me standing there looking like an idiot. As I got into my car, and I kept turning this scenario, the scene over and over in my head, I kept thinking about this. And every time I played that scenario in my head, Satan reminded me what an idiot I looked like. I looked like an idiot standing there. I went to my office and shut the door, and I began to pray, and the Holy Spirit began to minister to me. I turned to Matthew 18, where Peter asked Jesus. By the way, I'm going to give you homework today, okay? When you go home, read Matthew 18 and John 13, both chapters. Read them closely, read them carefully, read them slowly. And so I'm reading in John 18 when Peter said to Jesus, How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? Thinking that this is generous. Seven is a big number. And he thought Jesus was going to say, Attaboy, Peter, yeah. Now, i got to tell you, this is a confession time. My flesh piped in. You know how sometimes you hear the voice of Satan, you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, but you also hear your flesh. And my flesh piped in, and he said, yeah, but he's not your brother. <laughs> this man doesn't even believe the gospel. He doesn't believe the Word of God. He, he doesn't believe in the divinity of Christ and centrality of Christ for salvation. He does not believe in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He's not your brother. The Holy Spirit called me again, and I began to read what Jesus said to Peter. He said to him, I tell you, not seven times, but seven times 70. Look, I flunked math, but I know that's 490 times a day. Now, having studied Peter's personality, and in fact, I did a a, a sermon back, we used to have evening service, and I did a a study of the personality of Peter because (laughs) I can relate to Peter. (laughs) Foot in the mouth disease is part of my… And and probably Peter was really hoping, he said, God, Jesus is going to say, oh, good boy, this is great, Peter, good, seven times, this is wonderful, maybe even five, and then you suck it to him. But in this question, Peter did not anticipate Jesus to be saying 70 times 7. Bottom line, 
no limit to forgiveness. That's what he's saying, because if you start counting, by the time you get to 400 or even 300 or 200, you're going to lose count. And so Jesus goes on, after that, to give a parable. It's an amazing parable. Again, read it when you go home. I'll give you the bottom line. A servant owed his master some money. And the master said, I forgive you. When the man came to him and asked him, he said, will you forgive my debt? He said, yes. Yet that same servant who's been forgiven by his master goes into another servant, a fellow servant, who owed him money. And he started grabbing him by the neck and said, you pay. You pay or else. And he would not forgive. And the man would say, forgive me. Just give me time. No. And he punished him. And Jesus said, the reason this man that he forgave was condemned is because he would not forgive his brother, his brother servant. Now, beloved, let's be honest with each other, okay? I'm always up front with you. Forgiving those who hurt us deeply is extremely difficult. Can I get an amen? Some of you might find it easy, but that's okay. Thank God for those who said amen, because they, <laughs> they understand. <laughs> so much of the secular preaching that you get on public television, you know what I'm talking about? They say, oh, forgiveness is, uh, is it's, it's all appealing to selfishness. It's healing. It is for you. It's healing. It's, it's healthy. It is uh, restorative for you. Uh, typical Hindu preachers on public television like that fraud, uh, Deepak Chopra, appeals to selfishness and forgiving. That's, watch this and, and, and be very careful of what you hear. But then like all falsehoods, like all falsehoods, they have a grain of truth in them wrapped up in a whole lot of falsehood enchilada. <laughs> Yet the truth about us forgiving others who hurt us can only, 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 only work if it is done out of sense of gratitude and thanksgiving to God who forgave us all of our sins. That's the only way. Any other attempts to forgiveness is temporary at best. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. But the reason forgiveness in the secular mind and Eastern mysticism is so shallow and not lasting is because they cannot comprehend and they do not comprehend the power of sin. Without understanding the root of the problem, they will forever be dealing with the symptoms. Please listen to me. Sin is what every baby is born with. Sin contaminates every human being on the face of the earth. Sin infects our will and our emotions and our conduct. Sin even makes us susceptible to diseases and illness and sorrow and even death. Sin is culpable in every broken marriage. Sin is at the root of every dispute and every shattered relationship. Sin is at the heart of every argument, every battle, and every war. 
and sin is what brought God the Son from heaven so that He may take away the punishment of that sin on His sinless body on the cross. Lots of definitions about sin, but here is hamaritia, which means missing the mark, missing the mark. Not the marks that we set for ourselves, <laughs> even those we can't keep, but the marks that are set by God. We miss those marks. And that is why confession and repentance is prerequisite for forgiveness. Why? Because when we confess our sins, we are agreeing with the courts of heaven. When we confess our sins, we are agreeing with God that only salvation from sin is His gracious forgiveness by the one who never, 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 never missed the mark. And that is why He's the only one who can truly forgive us. And every time we forgive somebody else, you know what you're saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Every time I forgive somebody, I am saying, thank you, Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. And so in this petition that we come to in the disciples' prayer, and if you were not here, we started a series on the disciples' prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer, the blueprint that our Lord gave us, the model by which we pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, please listen to me very carefully. Listen carefully. This does not mean that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. That's false teaching. Some people teach that. That's false teaching. If this, this is true, then salvation is by works, and faith would be unnecessary. But that's contrary to the Scripture, contrary to the gospel. Now, I want to make this crystal clear, okay? Our eternal forgiveness or the forgiveness of the debt of sin is paid on the cross in full, completely, once and for all. Nothing outstanding, nothing left to be done, nothing needed to be done, nothing we can do to earn that. Can I get an amen? amen. Forgiving others is not, is not, is not a payment toward our forgiveness, no in a million no's, but it's a sign. It's a sign. A sign of what? It's a sign that we have received God's forgiveness. Now, beloved, willingness to forgive others is one of the signs that we belong to Jesus. It really is. It's one of the signs that God is our Father and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. It is one of the signs that we have divine nature working in us. Listen to me. When Christian believer forgive others, it is not, it is not, it's not a duty, 
Oh, I've got to do this because I am obligated to do it. No, 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 no. It is not scoring points with God. It is not raking up some credit with God. No, we forgive out of gratitude and thankfulness to God for Him forgiving us. Can I get an amen? But there's more. Actually, there's a whole lot more. The Bible speaks of forgiveness in two ways. There are two types of forgiveness. Did you know that? There are two types. I want you to listen carefully because that's really important. The first type of forgiveness is permanent. It's forever. And that is is called eternal forgiveness. When we come to Him for the first time, when we recognize that we're a sinner and heading for heaven, but Jesus died on the cross to change that direction, to save us eternally, to take us to heaven. We come to Him in, forg- in, in repentance and in faith, believing in Him, and receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. That's the first type of forgiveness. That's why the Bible said, therefore, there is no condemnation upon those who are what? In Christ Jesus. God bless you. The moment, that moment, and I remember it, some of you know, it's March 4th, 1964. That moment, I moved from death to life. But the Bible also speaks of second forgiveness, second type of forgiveness. It's a daily forgiveness. Daily forgiveness of our failures. Daily forgiveness of our shortcomings. Daily forgiveness of missing the mark. This is the forgiveness our Lord Jesus is talking about here in the disciples' prayer, the daily forgiveness that we receive from His hand. Let me give you a biblical illustration. You know, you often hear me say, there is no illustration that's perfect, and and I'll tell you a story or experience or something to illustrate it, but this illustration is perfect. (laughs) What I'm going to tell you is perfect. You know why it's perfect? Because it comes from the Word of God. (laughs) It's not an illustration from my life or somebody's life. It's from the Word of God. Here's your second part of your home, homework. Kids don't like to hear about homework, but that's okay. This is fun homework. <laughs> it's John chapter 13. I want you to imagine yourself. You're there in the upper room. Those who visited Israel, at least they say, this is the upper room. Now, I don't know whether they really know it or not, but anyway, looks, looks good. <laughs> Imagine yourself in that upper room. And as I said, you need to read John 13 very carefully, where they were having the Last Supper. And our Lord Jesus Christ gets up, and He puts on an apron, and He bends, and He begins to wash the disciples' feet. Think about this, okay? I want you to remember, the task of the washing of the feet of the guests when they come to the house is the task for the lowest of the low among the servants. Yes, they had ranks of servants. Just like you see on television sometimes, you got the butler, you got the footman, you got the, there's a ranking. And the lowest in the rank is the one who brings water and wash the guests' feet when they come to the house. So imagine the disciples sitting there and they're seeing the Lord of glory gets up, takes a basin, and starts washing their filthy feet. 
some of them probably were so stunned, didn't know what to say. The Lord of glory doing the work of the lowest of the low. This can take a whole series of sermons, but I, I want to move on, and it's not what I'm aiming at today. But I want you to focus with me on a very important dialogue that took place between Peter and Jesus that night. A very, very important dialogue. It will illustrate everything I'm trying to tell you about those two types of forgiveness. The daily forgiveness that we receive from His hand every day. And in some cases, in my case, I know that several times a day. Because as you get, you walk closer and closer and closer in years and in time with Jesus, you keep shorter accounts. When I was a young Christian, maybe I get convicted every end of the day or maybe end of the week or maybe on Sunday and I'll confess. When you walk closely with Jesus for 58 years, you keep shorter accounts. The moment even the thought goes through your mind, you say, Lord, I'm sorry. And so, Peter, by the way, Peter is a great comfort to me. He really is. I told you before I studied him, he's a great comfort to me. I see myself in Peter, not that I'm anywhere near close to Peter, but I see some own, my own foibles in Peter. More than any other biblical character, I think I, I see myself there. At times when I'm reading the Scripture, I go through the Bible every year, and I'll be reading in the Gospels, and I'll see some, something happen with Peter, and I would laugh out loud. <laughs> so, as the Lord going around, washing the feet of the stunned, stunned disciples, didn't know what to say, Peter verbalized what they were all thinking. <laughs> he does. He said, the Lord of glory washing my feet… You know, some of my, my family members and some of my friends know this. I have the hardest time accepting anything from anybody. It really is a, something I've worked with and work, still working on. <laughs> I used to say, God gave me grace in giving but not in receiving. But I know that's sanctified pride. A friend told me that years and years ago. I'm working on it. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you're going to do what? You're going to wash my feet? <laughs> you, the Lord? No way on God's earth you're going to do that. I'm exaggerating it so you can see it. Just blowing it up. I'm not going to let the Lord of glory wash my dirty feet. First, our Lord says something to him, and I, I can see that sometimes the way God works with us, sometimes the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works and try to convince me and convict me, and then when I'm not getting it because I got a thick head, you know, kind of, he, he hit me by the two by four, and I said, oh, I got it. And this is what the Lord is doing here. First of all, he said to him, he said, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. You don't understand now, but trust me, trust me. 
you will understand later on. You won't understand now, but it didn't work. It just didn't work with Peter. He was adamant. Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. There is no way you're going to do that. Didn't work. So our precious Lord had to shock Peter. Literally, he had to shock him in order to get him to understand what the Lord is doing. Jesus said, Peter, if I do not wash your feet, you cannot be one of my disciples. We just imagine that shock. And in a predictable fashion, Peter overreacts. He said, no, 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 no. Of course I want to be your disciple. You can't do that. Not just my feet. Bathe me. Give me a shower. Wash all of me. Here's what I pray to God, that everybody at the sound of my voice would not miss in what Jesus said to Peter at this point. Because it's of uttermost importance to get it into your heart and your mind. Jesus said, Peter, a person who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. For the whole body is already clean. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Our Lord is telling Peter, and He's telling us, He's telling us, He's telling us, He's telling us, He's telling us. There is a huge difference between the repentance of sinners who come to Jesus for the first time and receiving His eternal forgiveness, and the repentance of a believer on a daily basis for their failure and shortcomings. You with me? Listen to me. In the first repentance… We come to God recognizing that we are sinners heading for hell for all of eternity. And Jesus is the only one who can forgive us and save us eternally. At that moment, we become spiritually bathed. We become spiritually bathed. We become disinfected. From that moment on, we are positionally clean. From that moment on, God the Father looks at us through the prism of the righteousness of Jesus, and He sees us as righteous, positionally. All our sins are forgiven. All our sins are forgiven. All our sins have been washed and showered down the drain, never to return. Listen. Nothing we can do that can bring that sin back. Nothing we can do that can reduce us to the old state uh, of dirtiness before we come to Christ. Nothing. Say nothing. nothing. But, said Jesus, every clean person, every saved person, every eternally saved person, because we're living in this filthy world, we're living in this muddy and dirty world, this dusty, sinful world, our feet get muddied. Now, of course we long to be clean. Of course we, we long to avoid the mud of the world. Of course we long to be pure before God. But the fact is, we'll fall and stumble from time to time. 
which necessitate our daily washing of feet, symbolically. The Bible said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we what? But if we what? Confess. Even in our state of cleanliness, we'll fall and stumble and sin every now and again. Please hear me right. This is important. The new sins, after we have been bathed, will not impact our salvation. Did you get that? Say amen. Amen. But if these new sins left unconfessed, left unrepented of, is going to cause us a great deal of misery. You're still a Christian believer, but you have a stinky feet. (laughs) And that is why the English reformers in the 1500s, when they were reforming the Church of England, they said, you begin the service with a confession, just as you're walking into the house of God and you get your feet washed. That's why they began the service with confession. Now, the modern evangelicals, past the 1500, they said, no, 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 no. What we need to to confess after we hear the Word of God and the Word of God convicts us, then we confess. Please read my lips. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Makes no difference. As long as we do. Here's the important the importance of this petition in the disciples' prayer. (laughs) Forgive me. Forgive us our sins, as we indeed forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our sins. Great. This is our foot washing from Jesus. But then we turn around and wash somebody else's feet who have hurt us, who offended us, who deliberately maligned us. Let me emphasize this, please. I don't want misunderstanding. I plead with you, no misunderstanding. Salvation for our souls is freely given. It's a gift of God. It is offered with no conditions. And there is no probation period. But once you're forgiven, you cannot just presume on God's grace. Once you're forgiven, you cannot take for granted that God will forgive us our daily sin as we forgive the sins of others. Now, some of the translations uh, said uh, in the disciples' prayer, said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's fine, because sin is a debt, right? Sin is a debt. Now, you know and I know. I'll repeat what I said earlier. Forgiveness of others is not easy. Am I right? It's not easy. If I stand here and say, oh, it's a man walk in the park. I will not be telling you the truth. 
or I'm not living in this flesh and blood. <laughs> that is why it cannot truly take place without God's supernatural power working in us. It can't take place. Going back to my friend who denounced me publicly for my uncompromising preaching of the truth, his reaction was painful. His reaction was hurtful. If I tell you anything else, it would not be true. But I remember clearly, as the Holy Spirit was ministering to me, actually the Holy Spirit agreed with me. Yes, you did look like an idiot. <laughs> Listen, be careful when the Holy Spirit agrees with you. <laughs> sure you looked like an idiot standing there. But think about the Son of God. What He looked like when He hung on that cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Beloved, I can tell you that I began and I continue to this day reflect on the cross every time. Every time I'm, a fa I'm facing issue of forgiving somebody, reflect on the cross. Of course, there was pain. It's inexplicable. I mean, we, we will never understand the pain of the cross. It was so painful. But think about the nakedness. The stripping away of his dignity, the humiliation, the ridicule, feeling like an idiot doesn't even begin to compare, not even close. Beloved, you know and I know the main reason why we find forgiveness of others difficult. You know the main reason? It's pride. Human pride. Now, if you're a person who do not struggle with pride, you've never repented of pride, uh, you don't deal with pride, it's not an issue, I want to see you after the service because <laughs> I want to learn from you. I remember my mentor and friend, Dr. John Stott, he was here back in 1993, and we were talking about that very issue. And he said to me, Michael, we will battle pride until we go to glory. Beloved, listen to me. Pride is lethal. Pride impacts all of our relationships. Pride will cause us to nurse our grievances even for decades. And that is why forgiveness of others is a way to subjugate your pride. It's a way for us to submerge our pride under the blood of Jesus. Something else about pride. Pride identifies with Satan. 
It was pride that got him thrown out of heaven. It is pride that continued to cause him to war against the children of God. And that is why Satan never forgives. Satan hates forgiveness. And when Satan sees forgiveness taking place, he does his uttermost to undo or spoil it. Am I preaching the truth? Listen to me. When someone takes advantage of you, or lets you down, or speaks ill of you, or hurts you somehow, you have a choice. Will I act like Satan, the accuser, or will I manifest a divine nature that became ours when we said yes to Jesus? I am absolutely convinced that few things, now when I say I absolutely, take it as, as it is, just from me, okay, this is my personal opinion. I believe that few things pleases the heart of Jesus more than our readiness to forgive others, because we take on the likeness of Christ. We take on the likeness of Christ, and that is why after we forgive, we experience inexplicable peace that floods our hearts. I need to tell you a couple of things. I'm getting close to the end, but a couple of things. Sometimes forgiveness is a practice. It is not always one punch, and that's it. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's a process, as long as you keep at it. And the second thing I want to tell you is this. Forgiveness really is like a skill. <laughs> you acquire it as you practice it. And the more you practice it, the better you get at it. The more you practice it, the better you get at it. The more you practice it, the more you get good at it. Seventy times seven. The third thing I want to tell you is this. Only way to heal hurt that is caused by someone else is not by hitting back. That's the way of the flesh. That's the way I was my first reaction, but by forgiveness. Beloved, forgiveness is the salve, it's the salve that keeps the wound from getting infected. Forgiveness is that balm of Gilead that allows your spirit to heal. And that is why when I come to this part in the, the Lord's blueprint for prayer for the disciples, I begin by reminding myself of how many of my sins that God forgave me, all of them. Then I ask for the power to be empowered to forgive those who deliberately sinned against me. My longing in doing so is to reflect the character of Jesus, my Savior, my Redeemer, my friend. I say, Father, I pray that my, my always reflect Christ in my forgiving and in my giving.
And I pray specifically that God would minister to those whom I have forgiven. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, there may be somebody here who says, I haven't even come to first base. I need to come confessing, repenting, receiving Jesus as my Savior and Lord. You can stand up. I'm, going to ask, I'm not going to ask you to come down. Just stand up where you are and I'll pray with you and for you. Then there may be someone who knows that their sins are forgiven, but they're really having a hard time in forgiving others. I want you to stand up. That's your way of saying, Lord, I need your help. I need your power. I need your strength. You stand up where you are. It doesn't matter where. Heaven sees where you are and who you are. Heaven knows all that. God knows all that. Lord, I want to be able to forgive because of you forgiving me in gratitude and in thanksgiving. Help me that in thanksgiving I extend that forgiveness. And today is the beginning. It's just the beginning. This is not the be all and the end all. This is just the beginning. Thank you. Thank remain standing. Before I pray, anybody else that felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the power of your blood, Jesus, I pray for these precious people who are standing up and those who are watching online around the world, many of them probably standing up and whatever they are. Lord, we pray that in these last days that we learn to keep short accounts with you and short accounts with others. So we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. Lord, prepare your bride. Cleanse your bride. We know that you've cleansed it with the power of the Word of God, and we know that you're going to continually cleansing the pride of Jesus. And so that you might present us, Lord Jesus, to the Father, pure and holy. We thank you for your power, Holy Spirit, that is going to come and work in our lives and the lives of especially those who are standing right before you. Thank God they're not standing like idiots. They're standing like godly men and women who are seeking you. So, our Lord, I pray that you bless them, that you give them power they never thought possible because it's going to be power of Jesus. It is in his name that I pray. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Let's stand up together and sing.